there. For those of you who, who haven't hung out with us much, my wife, actually, the reason we got to Fort Hood is I was an Army wife for 11 years. All right, and my wife, Kyla, is a, is a physician. The Army paid for her school, and she paid it back to the Army, and she got set free in 2020. Come on. While y'all were going through the pandemic, man, we we're like, we're out of the Army, you know. Anyways, so she got out of the Army, and she private, she, she's in practice as a hospitalist there at Scott and White. You can see her oldest daughter, when we die, she's going to be the one that divvies up all the money because she's responsible. Look at her. She's our oldest. There's Adeline. Uh, then there's her sister, Breland. And Breland is literally like the Tasmanian devil. Have you guys ever remember those? She literally likes to set things on fire just to watch the fire reflect in her glasses. You think she's cute? She'll burn something down, y'all. She's pretty crazy. All right. Then we have our oldest son, uh, Grace, in there. I'm holding him. This was last year. And then we have our little man, uh, Colton. We don't really know what he's going to do. We were just really working on him trying to wipe his own behind. Right? Come on. We're working on that right now. You might be thinking, okay, Pastor, why are you starting with this picture? Great question. Uh, Look at that picture for a minute. That is a beautiful picture. Look at the backdrop of that picture. Do you know where I put that picture? On Facebook. That's my Facebook picture. If you knew what it took to get that picture, you wouldn't even listen to the rest of what I had to say. I mean, there were threats. There were spankings. There were, I bribed. I bribed the little one just to sit still for just a second for that picture. Why is that important? Our world is infatuated with what a book looks like on the cover. You open up your social media feed every single day and all you see is what doesn't exist. That's actually not the Martin family. The Martin family is a lot messier and smellier than that picture. The Martin family never has all of our hair looking like that. And at any given moment, one of those four kids, they're doing good today. I had so many kids tell me that's because I didn't bring the two bad ones. Come on. (laughs) Right? This is what we measure our family. And we're going to talk about family today. This is really important because family is tough. It's a tough topic. Here's, Here's why. The Bible is so clear on how you and I are to build family. And it's tempting to look at God's ideal for family in the Bible Okay, and then measure it against our reality and get discouraged. We can get discouraged and we can be, we can, we can be just, just in our own heads. You know, I feel like it's too late. By the way, if you're still breathing, it's not too late. And, and you know what's cool about God is God doesn't look at our ideal, his ideal, and then us and compare us for those who are in Christ. Okay, meaning that you're actually not measured against the ideal, but he does give you his plan so that in this earth, you can begin to move towards the ideal. But did you know that on this side of heaven, you will never have achieved God's perfect ideal? The Bible says what we learn, the lessons that we go through, they teach us how to be made and conformed into the image of Christ. And this side of heaven, we're not going to quite be there. The theologians call this the already but the not yet. It's like you know that it's possible, right? Paul said, Paul, of all people, two-thirds of the letters to the church that we read, right? He literally, towards the end of his life, says, I have not achieved it yet. But he says, you know what keeps me going? I set my eyes to the future. I set my eyes to the one who called me because I know one day I'm going to meet him face to face. And all of the ways that I'm inadequate, all the ways that I don't measure up, I'm not going to have to because Jesus already did. I'm going to stand before God. The Bible says that we're going to get a new heaven and a new earth and a new body. A lot of people think we're just going to be like naked angels with, har- with violins in heaven. That's weird. Okay, but that's, that's, it's not precious moments heaven. Okay. My grandma used to have those things. They're creepy, okay? They're creepy. That's not what's going to happen. Did you know we're going to, ha- we're going to live in the world that was always supposed to be? God's going to redeem all of it. Imagine going to work and not getting tired. 
Imagine, like, you know, you're just spending time with your family, right? And you just eat because you enjoy it, not because she says you need to because you're getting hangry. Come on. All of that's going to go. Now, on this side of heaven, we don't understand what that's like. But here's why I'm bringing that up. It's really important. Remember, it's God's plan that pulls us towards his ideal. Here's what a lot of people do. Because the ideal is eternal, because you and I are created eternal, but we live in time and space, we look at the ideal and we say, we're just not going to do anything. And you can't have that kind of attitude. This is how Satan robs you of what he wants to do in and through you here. There are lots of believers that they're going to heaven. They've professed Jesus. But because they don't know his word, because they're not walking in his plan for them at that time, right, in that place, they end up having a hell on earth. And so in this, in this week, we're going to hit some really deep topics, okay, on family. Okay, and here's what I want you to do. When inside you feel this, you ever felt that? It's all from the Bible, so we're going to call that the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And most believers aren't, they don't, they don't practice that enough. What you're going to want to do is this. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do as your pastor. Okay, I don't pastor Facebook. Pastor Nathan, we pastor Vintage Church, that's what we pastor. I'm going to encourage you to lean forward and to see what God could do in his plan through you. Is that okay? Can we do that? Now up front, I want to tell you, me and Pastor Nathan are totally different in terms of how we communicate. He's a preacher and he's really good. Like, he says stuff, and then he starts singing. It's like, whoa, man, I can't even touch that. Okay, I'm more of a teacher, so I'm more of an explainer, okay? And I talk really, really fast. And so later, I'm not going to change that. I've tried for 10 years. It doesn't work. Okay, but if you listen to me on half speed, you'll get there. And here's the cool thing. If you absolutely can't stand me, that's totally fine, because I'm going back to my church after this, and you're going to get Pastor Nathan next week. Okay, but if you really love this, we have three services at Harker Heights, 830 to... (laughs) funny so going you say i'm gonna get there you got some good people here but anyways let's let's jump in let's talk about the war the war on family today i want to talk about the decline of family and i want to give you some biblical things that you can do uh, in your family specifically and these don't just apply to your natural family but also your spiritual family the war on family the first thing we've got to understand from the bible is family is the foundation of a society write that down Family is the foundation of the society. Destroy the family, destroy the culture. Most most would agree that we're all in huge social decline, and the reason is because we have a lack of a biblical understanding of family. Family is is defined as blood relations as well as church family, the body of Christ. Our world has at large turned from this definition and has started to make up their own definition of family. Here's what that looks like. Whatever makes you happy, whatever feels Right, you live you, boo. Whatever you want to do. I didn't do that well, did I? (laughs) Anyways, I didn't do that well. You know, and and here's the thing. We've been, we've had this laissez-faire attitude towards family for so long that it has actually creeped in to our churches. And at a time when we should be shining the light of Christ for how family works, while everything God tells you to do in his word works, if your life's not working, it's because you're not doing it God's way. You need to change, not him. That's what the Bible teaches us. Does that make sense? And the church is supposed to be this beacon of light. And as a result, we've kind of faded into this kind of attitude that we have with culture. And we're going to talk more about this in terms of education and even government in the next couple weeks. But the church is supposed to be a beacon of light, a city on a hill. Salt gives preservative. And what happens when we allow this world idea to come into our churches, right, it ends up denigrating us first and then the society later. One of the things I love about God is everything he does is backed by science. You do realize that. One of the names for God is omniscient. Think about this for a minute. 
That means all science or all knowledge. Everything that works in our world, the physics governing this room right now and how the matter is staying in place is a manifestation of the powerful knowledge and science power of God. And so when God tells you to do something, it's always backed by the numbers. I want to give you some numbers. Now, I told you earlier that our decline is cyclical. We are on the down cycle of one of those, where family is at an all-time low when you look historically. That actually started with the sexual revolution of the 1960s for us in our time. Okay, it started then, all right, and, and it, 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 it moved into 1963. Let's start separating God from from government, which by the way was never what our founders intended, but that's another week. Here's some statistics since 1960, okay? So we're gonna go back. That's relatively a good place in history to go back to. Okay, violent crimes have soared 470%. Did you know the United States is the world's leader in total crimes committed? Divorce has skyrocketed, okay? U.S. has found itself number one in all divorces. Unmarried couples living together increased 1,000% from the 60s. SAT scores plummeted after being stable for decades. Sexually transmitted diseases soared 500%. The birth rate of unwed mothers soared 460%. America has the highest teen pregnancy rate of any nation in the industrialized world. One third of men in their 20s to 30s still live at home with parents. And this is a 100% increase from just 20 years ago. Think about this for just a minute. There's this vicious cycle that we see. Remember the generations. The first generation walks with God but then they're just kind of loose with it, with their kids. You know, my kid's really good at soccer, so we're going to do that instead of Sunday. You know what? My, my kids are just so passionate. I'm going to move from my responsibility of training my children to now I'm going to be just like propping them up in what they want to do and where they want to go. That's what happens in the second generation. Maybe you go to church on Easter and Christmas, right? We call them cheesters. <laughs> they're cheesters. Okay, and then they start to have kids, and because it wasn't modeled and taught to them, like, their kids literally don't know God. We li- we, we've been talking about this as a church because we're having to go back to very fundamental foundations of faith because we realize that people in our churches, they, they don't know the Bible at all. And it all started as a gradual decline. Here's how it works. If you wanted to boil a frog, I don't know why you'd want to do that unless you like frog legs and you're Cajun. I did hear as long as there's ditches, they'll never starve. But anyways, you want to boil a fit, you want to boil a frog, you don't just drop it in hot water. What do you do? Put it in nice cozy water, you know, kind of like a hot tub. You know, it's kind of like a hot tub. It just kind of sits in there, and over time, here's what you do. That's how we've gotten to those statistics. It's not been one cultural revolution that started it. It's been one degree, one turn of the knob, one step at a time. The good news is we can stop that vicious cycle, and we can take steps in the other direction. Here's why we need to do that. When the family breaks, society breaks. I don't have a degree in theology um, I, I, I just, I don't. I decided to get a degree in history. And one of the things you see about history is every great civilization has ever been, has ever been, okay, before they're finally done, there's been a complete breakdown of the family unit. Here's what happens. Dads don't t- want to take care of kids. Moms don't want to be moms. This is happening constantly. People are just not getting, they're not, they're not, they're not getting married. They're not having children. I mean, you just see this complete breakdown of society. The licentiousness always carries into that. We talked about that last week. Here's what happens. It comes plummeting down. What happens when the family breaks, society breaks? Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 prophesies what has to happen. Look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Look, 
and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. It's tempting in our culture to think that if we hire another politician, it's going to fix the problem. It's tempting in this fast food, industrialized society to think, right, that there's a quick fix to a problem that's taken 60 years to get rooted. Here's what I'm going to tell you. There is no quick fix. Malachi goes back here. Here's what he says. The first thing that has to change is how we think of family. The first thing that has to change is to get back to a biblical understanding of what the family is. The truth is the enemy has been very intentional over the last 60 years, and we haven't always been intentional. And as a result, we look out at our world, and we see the same world that Paul talks to Timothy about. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 5, 1 through 5, he says, But know this, hard times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Look what the Bible says to believers. Timothy didn't pastor Facebook. Timothy pastored churches, specifically the church at Ephesus at the time that this letter was written. Paul was literally telling him, hey, Timothy, you want to get this right? You need to avoid how the world does it. You need to avoid people who think like that. A lot of the rebellion that we're seeing in this young generation comes from a root of rejection, whether they've been abused, ignored, abandoned, they have no attention. The generation is looking for acceptance, and that love is supposed to come from the nuclear family. Here's the, here's the answer, and I believe this is true. We must return. Everyone say return. We've got to return. There's nothing new under the sun. There's just what is and has always been. What works has always worked. That's one of the reasons we named our church Vintage Church. When we were planting this church, I looked around, and there were a lot of people trying to do new cool things. And they started getting fast and loose with theology, fast and loose with the timeless truths of the Bible. And you know what I said? I said, I don't care if we have smoke, which I guess is fog, you know, I don't care if we have great lights. I don't even care if we have AC. One thing this church will never do is abandon what the Bible says is true and what the Bible says is the way to live. You can clap for that. It's important. It's very, very important. We've got to return. I love the attitude of Joshua. If you, if, if you have some time this week, uh, read through the book of Joshua. It, it's so powerful to see Joshua. He's Moses' apprentice. He takes the people into the promised land, Right? You, to keep, keep in mind, there was a whole generation that refused to do what God told them to do. Do you know what, he said, you know, knew what happened? God let all of them die until a generation rose up that would do what he says. You know what happens if we don't step into this place in time? God will just let all of us die, and then he'll use our kids to do it. That's just how it works. That's the story of Joshua. And Joshua takes the people into the promised land, right? And they're, they're, they're defeating stuff in, in cities, and they're walking into what God has for them. And at the end of his life, he's like, okay, man, I've done my fighting. I've done my fighting. Here we see a Joshua that's battle-hardened, that's battle-ready, right? He's had some experience. Look at his attitude here. I love it. It should be our attitude as believers. But if it doesn't please you, he's talking to the people. He's, he's getting ready to ride off into the sunset, you know, go, go hug some grandbabies and great-grandkids, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Go on cruises. How many y'all know Right? That's what he's about to do. He says, but if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose yourself today. Which will you worship? The gods of your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But you know what? I don't really care what any of you guys do because I want to make it very clear that as for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. 
Another translation says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If we are going to be intentional about turning this, we got to start with ourselves. And so this is where I want to pivot. And I want to get a little bit more practical. Remember, I'm a teacher, okay? If you love me, we have services at 8.30 that you follow me. Okay, if you don't, Pastor Nathan will be back. But I think what, what the people of God need more of is instruction in biblical truth. Okay, we've been instructed in a lot of different things, right? We, we talk about mental health a lot. Cool. Okay, but your spiritual health, if your spiritual health isn't right, your mental health will never be right. And we've got to get back to what God's word says. So let's practically take a look at what God's plan is. You just look around the world, you know what the world's plan is. Do I need to harp on that anymore? Does anybody not live in this world? Has anybody not looked outside lately? Come on, Liberty Hill, give me something. I won't stop till you start responding. So what is God's plan for family? First, we need to understand that God designs and orders family. It's very, very clear. I'm going to give you some passages of scripture. Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Here's the first thing you need to understand. God's design is there are two genders. There is no such thing, okay, or no any other such thing than binary. That's two. There are two genders in the human species. That's very important that we just clear that up right away. Second, gen- yeah, that's good. Genesis 2.24, this is why, okay, because there's a man and a woman, okay, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one. Everyone say one. One flesh. So here we see they made them binary, okay, they're attracted to each other. Now anybody who's ever not been married and then met their wife, okay, they know what it means to leave father and mother and to cleave to wife. That is a natural thing. Here's what it means, men. It's part of your maturing process to grow up and out of your home. And it doesn't say anything about her leaving, by the way. So yes, you do have to put up with your in-laws. Okay, anyways, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Then look what it says in Genesis 4.1. This is what happens. The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. So God designs and orders family a certain way. Anytime you see something in the Bible for the first time, it's significant. It shows a pattern. That's called the law of first mention when you're reading the Bible. Okay, it goes on to see from here, God designed man to cling to his wife. Okay, marriage and family are the ways in which all civilization, right, come into existence. Now this goes against a lot of cultural ideas. This is what I say in our church in Harker Heights. Okay, listen. You're growing up, you love God, right? You're following God, you're living God's way, okay? You should get married to another person who loves God that is of the opposite sex if you're not married and you feel any attraction, right? That is a good godly thing for you to get married. You grow up. So you should get married before you're ready and you should have kids before you can afford it. That's what I tell people at Harker Heights. Now, if God's not at the center, this is important, okay? We're in Liberty Hill. You guys are more educated than my people. Don't tell them I said that, but it's true. I know the demographics. We say to ourselves, no, you've got to get your degree first. Think about the stuff we say. It's not biblical at all. It may be wise, depending on, you know, how mature your kid is or isn't, okay? But we should be training them up to leave. If you do your job, parent, okay, uh, little buddy doesn't need you anymore when he grows up. And he cleaves to his wife. Does that make sense? If we're successful, this is what happens. If we're not, well, I mean, we have, you know, anyways, 40-year-old 
virgins living in our basement. It's pretty much what happens. That aren't married, that aren't growing up and taking their place in culture. Pastor Nate can unwind all this later. <laughs> but that's true. But that's true. God designed this. Culture says choose your gender. You don't have to be married. Or you can choose the same sex to be married to. Or you can create family, but it's a lie. It won't work. It won't work. God can only bless and be a part of what he designed. This is, this is something that, oh man, I'm already out of time, but we're going to go a little late. Can you all handle that? Cool. We're going to do it anyways. God will never orbit your universe. He loves you so much that he designed you a specific way. You don't get to call the shots in how he designed you. It's just self-evidently true. You can choose other ways to think and live, but it'll never result in the life you were actually created for. You'll always end up getting less. And here's what we do as believers. We say, God, bless what I want to do. Bless how I think. Bless how I feel. But if we would just get under the things that God already blesses, oh my gosh, life would be so much better for us. This is a principle of you, for you in your faith. God can only bless and be a part of what he designed. And here's what he designed marriage for. You ready? God designed marriage for children. God designed marriage for children. Remember I talked about God's ideal here in our reality. I was raised by a single mom and I was adopted by three families in the local church. My mom was awesome. She did a great job. But even she would admit that it was not ideal. Does that make sense? We're measuring our ideal based on God, measuring our reality based on God's ideal. God's ideal is the best place to raise kids who grow up and mature and do everything God designed them to do is in the marriage relationship. One man, one woman, united by God for life. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute because we, we treat marriage like it's not important. It doesn't matter. Okay, you do realize God was the first dad to walk his daughter down the aisle. Think about it for a minute. Adam and Eve were not born. They were created. Cain and Abel were born. Okay, he was the first one in a covenant relationship. He takes it very, very seriously. And that's not just so that Christians can stand up and say, you know, this is, you know, turn or burn. That's also so maybe Christians can take the covenant of marriage more seriously. Maybe in-laws who want to meddle too much might think twice, right? Maybe, maybe how we look at things would be different if we understood that Jesus, maybe I would have treated my father-in-law differently when I courted Kyla had I had this revelation that God's a dad too and loves his daughters. Does that make sense? And so it's the best way. And I, I want to give you some statistics because remember, this is not just Christian fundamentalism, Bible thumping you. This is what our postmodern world says because you can interpret things two different ways, there's no way. That's not true. Okay, there is a way that's better than all other ways. And our society proves this out in marriage. For example, let's take a look at poverty. Okay, children in father absent homes are almost four times more likely to be poor. In 2011, 12% of children in married families were living in poverty compared to 44 children today. 44% of children today. Children living in female-headed families with no spouse present had a poverty rate of 46.6%, over four times the rate of those who had a mom and dad in the house. That's just numbers. That's from literally the, the Census Bureau. Okay? Let's talk about drug and alcohol abuse. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services states fatherless children... This is the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. This is not the First Baptist Church down the street. This is not a Christian organization. Look what it says. It says that fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse. This, there is significantly more drug use among children who do not live with their father and mother. Let's talk about physical and emotional health, right? 
Because we're told constantly that you should affirm whatever a child thinks they are, says they are, at any given time. So let's just see how the numbers bear out. A study of 1,977 children aged three and older living with a residential father, a father figure, uh, that child was married to biological parents, had significantly fewer externalizing and internalizing behaviors than children living with at least one. Okay, children of single-parent homes are more than twice as likely to commit suicide. Twice as likely. Children born to single mothers, remember, I was born to a single, listen, I get it, all right? My mom would agree with all of these statistics too. She saw it in her peer group. Children born to single mothers show higher levels of aggressive behavior than children born to married mothers. Living in a single mother household is equivalent to experiencing 5.25 partnership transitions. Think about that for just a minute. The parent figure in your life changes five times on average. Let's take a look at criminal justice and incarceration. That's a big thing we want to talk about today. The more opportunities a child has to interact with his or her biological father, the less likely he or she is to commit a crime and have contact with the juvenile uh, justice uh, system. In a study of female inmates, more than half come from father-absent homes. Youths who never had a father living with them have the highest incarceration rates, and they've continued to go up. Okay, everyone take a deep breath in. Deep breath out. Everyone say this. God's way works. But I have to work it. Okay, so now we're going to talk... That's the problem. So how do we get there? I'll tell you. The sexual revolution. One degree at a time. How do we move from there? I'm going to give you some really practical things because it doesn't matter where you're from or where you're at. You can start, all right, to obey, right, and to move into God's plan even if your situation isn't ideal. Does that make sense? And I'm going to give you some practical thoughts here. We see it in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. We have about five more minutes. Can you all handle it? All right. Five more minutes. These words that I have given you today are to be on your hearts. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house or when you walk along the road, when you lay down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. So the idea here, Deuteronomy, teaches us how to raise kids, teaches us how to do family. What God is saying here is that this book is not just another book in your life. That the words in this book are not just words that you read on a page. Like they, this book will actually read you. We studied the book of James several months ago. We said that it's like a mirror. It reflects back to you so that you can know to fix that. How many of you ladies love the mirror? It's a love-hate relationship. I'll give you that. Right? But you need a mirror to know if your makeup looks good. Do you just know when you're applying it if it looks good? My wife has one of those mirrors with like the bright lights, you know? You, like you're looking into the sun. Right? That's what a mirror's for. Did you know this book will reflect back to you what you need to do to change? Uh, my pastor growing up said this, you should always approach the word of God like it's the filter by which everything else comes. And if you do that, you'll never find yourself falling for the truth and being complicit in the war against God, right? So, so he says here, there's an emphasis here on the word constantly being in front of you. There's something about prioritization. And here's something that I do with my kids that I think will be really, really helpful for you. There are four impressionable times of the day. Write these down. Because I think a lot of times, and even maybe you're in here and you're a single dad or you're a single mom and you're wondering how you're going to have the time to meet all the needs of your kid. By the way, that's what spiritual family's for. There are strong men and women of God who can step into that gap. I was raised by three families in the local church, adopted. My last name is a spiritual last name. Does that make sense? Like God, listen, the Satan's ability to maim is not as good as God's ability to heal. Okay, but, but did you know, it's, there are four impressionable times that every single one of us have with our kids. The first one is this, morning time. Every one of you wake up, and you have a routine when you wake up. 
What it says here in Deuteronomy is use that time. Use that time. What about this? Table time. Table time. I'm a pastor, and we only sit down, I only sit down with my family once a week, and it's one of the greatest things that I do. When we're around the dinner table, we're all around the table. Make some time for that. He talks about travel time. How many of you guys have work, you know, you go to and fro, you drop kids off? Anybody? Use that time. Then you have bedtime. You have bedtime. You have bedtime. Uh, a Harvard study revealed this. It's incredible that it came out of Harvard in the last 10 years. But out of 1,246 couples that got a divorce, um, a, a Harvard study revealed that only one out of 1,246 couples got a divorce if they just did three simple things. This is Harvard University. Three things together. Pray together, discuss the Bible together, and attend church together. Think about this for a minute. It's crazy, but if you do the math, the current divorce rate is between 53 and 56%. With that statistic, it would go down to 0.1 of a percent. Three things. So three things, and I'm going to read a scripture, pray, and we're going to be done. Do three things together. Pray together. Write that down. It doesn't have to be crazy, you know, perfect intellectual prayers. Grab their hand every now and then and pray. I do this a lot with Kyla. She starts to get stressed, you know. She has lots of problems, okay, lots of problems. I have to pray with her all the time. It's a joke. She does this to me a lot of times. I'll get overwhelmed with what's going on in the church. I'll get overwhelmed with not knowing how to deal with one of our kids. Or one of our kids will get overwhelmed. And you just grab their hand and say, let's pray for a minute. Jesus, we give this to you. We love you. We know that you would never bring us here and not give us a way forward. Speak to us. Speak to me and speak to them. There's something powerful in that one moment that everything connected to it just falls. And all of a sudden, you can hear God. Pray together. It does not have to be big, sexy prayers, okay? You don't have to be a preacher to do it. Next is discuss the Bible together. This is one of the reasons why we do small groups here. Maybe you don't have time for a small group. You definitely have time to serve. Come and serve. You'll get around other Christians and pick up that small group discussion guide. Take it home, right? Get in the car and ask a question. We ask our kids every single day, what did you learn in church? And they know that they better have an answer. <laughs> right? We ask a question, what did you learn? Hey, let's talk about what we learned. It's as simple as that. And then finally, attend church together. I, I, I know this seems self-serving because I pastor a church, but can I just tell you, uh, we're called to do this. There are more lucrative ways to be miserable. Think about it for a minute. Like we, I know Pastor Nathan. He's, a, he's literally off the church genius smart. Like we could go somewhere else and make more money doing something else. We absolutely love seeing people grow in their faith. And, there, and so I'm, I'm saying, what I'm saying is, in my own life before I was ever a pastor, the habit of going to church and serving, you always serve and you attend. You always do both. It's both. Th that habit was so ingrained in me that during some of the darkest parts of my life, God would bring just the right people in and out of my life in that rhythm that it would change everything. Here's what I want to challenge you. Listen, I want to challenge you. You guys, you, you have resources to do things and to go places and all of that. I would really, really encourage you to put an anchor on your schedule, and it's called church. And don't move that anchor. That is something that will bless you, trust me, and it will also pay massive dividends to your kids. Colossians 3.18. If you think you're the first people to struggle, or I'm the first person to struggle with family issues, right? You haven't read the Bible. There isn't one perfect family in the Bible. Have you read it? The firstborn family, the two brothers, one of them killed the other, right? I mean, there's all kinds of issues in the Bible. Those are there, and Paul answers in Colossians 3.18. 
And he gives us all a little something to think about. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. God's plan for family works. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting vintage.church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.